It's been all of two weeks and a couple of days since I stood in Jerusalem, went olive picking in the West Bank, and swam in the Dead Sea. I cannot thank you enough for graciously supporting me and allowing me to have these outstanding ministry and mission experiences. I've asked myself, and I've been asked by others, many here, about what is next. Do I have hope for God's holy mountain, Jerusalem, the West Bank? Do I have hope for God's holy mountainous world? I reserve my answer to revolve, or evolve, excuse me, but I'd like to share with you some of my thoughts and experiences. Our passage begins, For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Well, former things come to mind at every turn in the old city of Jerusalem. Cobblestone streets encircled by a large stone wall with a series of ancient gates that control the flow of traffic even today. The walls themselves tell the stories, tell the city's sordid history, standing just outside the Lion's Gate and beneath the Dome of the Rock. Our guide pointed out the different shapes of stone and told us of the developments that each empire's builders and defensive strategists added. And of course, a large part of that story is how many times the walls were destroyed and had to be rebuilt as the empires of Rome, Byzantine, and Ottoman fought for control of the area for political, strategic, and religious purposes. In a city that has stood in the corner of global religious and political politics for thousands of years, there's no lack of significant landmarks. And within the walls, tensions remain. Our our alternative tourism guide pointed out the political, religious, and cultural tensions expressed among the four divided quarters of the city, Muslim, Jewish, Armenian, Christian. The dividing lines today can seem a bit blurred to unaided eyes as merchants cater to the different religions and interests of the tourists. There's also an interesting tension between ancient and modern. For instance, the cobblestone streets have grooves in them from the handcarts that are still in use. However, there's also these thin little tractors that pull large carts of supplies and zip along and simply assume that we pedestrians will get out of their way. I learned about that the hard way. And along the street, one may find merchants catering to tourists looking for silver-plated icons or ancient relics right next to a small internet cafe or DVD shop. Jerusalem seemed to me to be a microcosm for how humanity really has a difficult time living into God's vision. I did not notice lambs and lions living peaceably with each other so much as being just tolerant enough of one another. Perhaps that is unfair, given that my time was brief. And perhaps tolerance is a step in the right direction, especially given Jerusalem's tumultuous and violent history. And sometimes that violence has been between religions, and sometimes it's within them. Case in point, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. A sepulcher is a tomb or small monument where someone is buried. In fact, in this little drawing, it is the church that is right here 
in the middle top left. So if you haven't been there, that's what we're talking about. Everybody got it? Yeah. All right. According to our tradition, this is the church that marks the literal location of Calvary, or Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and then resurrected. There's been a church in this location since the 4th century and was the site of pilgrimage during the First Crusade about 1,000 years ago. It is difficult for me to wrap my head around time spans as vast as the ones I'm referencing, but I hope you're starting to imagine with me how difficult it is to overstate the importance of this particular church as a holy site for pilgrims within our Christian tradition, both globally and historically. It was absolutely stunning and inspiring to be a pilgrim myself and witness the crowds of people who share our faith, if not our culture and our language. It is also an interesting place, this church, because in the midst of such a venerated location, there is a contentious history and continued battle for control over the space itself. Six separate Christian denominations claim space within this one structure. The Latins, or Roman Catholics, Greek Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, and to a lesser extent, the Syrian, Coptic, and Ethiopian Orthodox churches. Due to extreme rivalries, the keys of the church have been entrusted to a third party, a local Muslim family, who've been opening and closing, closing the church on a daily basis for literally hundreds of years. An edict called the status quo was issued by the Ottoman Turkish Sultan in 1752 and reaffirmed again in the 1850s and is still in force today. This status quo edict divided up the responsibilities in space within the church, although it did not do much to build the community of the church. This historic feud for custodianship is probably best left forgotten, as this morning's passage suggests. But alas, the hostility spills over into modern times. As one report reads, on a hot summer day in 2002, a Coptic monk moved his chair from its agreed upon spot into the shade. This is interpreted as a hostile move by the Ethiopians and 11 were hospitalized after the resulting fracas. Regrettably, neither the status quo nor 150 years of working side by side seems to have led to a new heaven within the confines of this church. Outside in the courtyard, people listen to our guides in numerous languages and take pictures of a wooden ladder on the church's facade. The ladder stands just beneath a second-story window where it's remained basically unmoved for over 150 years. The immovable ladder, as it is called, was written into the 1850s status quo edict and cannot be moved from its ledge without agreement from all six churches. As you can imagine, it simply sits there and gathers dust, not moving, unused, occasionally replaced as needed due to rot. I felt challenged, frustrated, embarrassed, sad, and deeply disappointed 
and the people and leaders of our faith as I stood in the courtyard and gazed up at this ladder. If you've ever wondered what generations of fear and mistrust look like, Google this church. You can't miss the ladder in all of the photos. This simple wooden ladder stands out to me as a symbol of human fear and dysfunction, sin and folly. All of the brokenness that keeps us separated from one another and from God. Should it surprise me that this ladder is at the exact place where these same realities, the same human brokenness, crucified our Lord on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago? There's no body hanging on the ladder. Or is there? For there is nothing new under heaven. Ladders like this seem immovable sometimes, except for maybe if you are God. I certainly had thoughts of scaling the wall, taking issues into my own hand, and pulling the ladder down. Fortunate for me, after just a heartbeat of thinking about that, I realized how tall it was and uh, let that idea go. Others have evidently had this same thought, but even if someone were to pull it down, would it truly hasten peace or ecumenical cooperation among the churches? Would a new reality, a new heaven and earth spring forth? Or would it add to the fuel of the chaotic fire of broken relationships already in place? Would it simply feed my ego's need to take control and do something, to fix them, and assuage my own fears? Surrounded by pilgrims' hopes and adoration, it did not feel very affirming or grace-filled to come face-to-face with this ladder. Perhaps that was because I was not ready to forgive these church leaders for being human. But fortunately for me and for us, our brokenness is not a surprise to God. Isaiah speaks of God's holy mountain, Jerusalem. And after generations of exile and living in diaspora, the people were coming back to their homeland, back to a city that had been destroyed and did not seem to live up to all the hype. The temple was destroyed, and Isaiah offers hope to a society that was filled with tension, disappointment, fear, and loss. What will the future look like? How do we move forward? How do we move the ladder? Isaiah expresses very human desires for longevity of life and work that matters, for children to live and grow for a secure future. We don't have to travel to Jerusalem or back in time to appreciate these same fears and hopes. For in the midst of our travels and adventures, right here in Marin, we encounter these same broken parts of ourselves as those expressed in the text because they are a part of us and a part of what it is to be alive and in community. We have our own ladders, don't we? Collecting dust in the corner. Isaiah's message from God is stunning in its simplicity and ability to transcend the ages and the ladders of our time. God desires us to be fulfilled. And so the text tells us, go, be glad and rejoice forever in what I, God, am creating. 
On God's holy mountain, there are no immovable ladders. With God, all things are possible. For God loves the people and loves Jerusalem. God loves these things and desires for the wolves to lie down with the lambs and the people to not toil in vain. These are God's desires, and God is working to bring them about, even today. And along with the brokenness, there are moments, relationships, and days when God's presence looms large and catches our attention, when the new heaven and a new earth seems to be right here in our midst. For instance, I hope you noticed on Friday that San Francisco declared itself Gotham City in order to honor a wish made by a five-year-old boy who's in remission from cancer. He donned a Batman costume and called himself Bat-Kid and went off to battle the Riddler and the Penguin who were causing havoc on the streets of downtown San Francisco, I mean Gotham. And what made this young crime fighter's story absolutely stunning, as you probably know, is that he not only is he starting a new life without cancer, but his make-a-wish was a touchstone for over 12,000 volunteers to come together to bring hope and joy not just to one child, but also to one another. People put aside their ladders to join in the celebration that honored life ahead of commerce. Their outpouring kicked off a new life and so doing allowed people's lights to shine brightly, both here and around the world on social media. For in the hearts and eyes of the pilgrim around the world and Gothamites in our own neighborhood, God's presence continues to stir and continues to break in in new ways. What's next in this ministry to Palestine? I don't know. Today, all I can tell you is that I know we have our own ladders to move. I have my ladders to move. And as we let our lights shine and work on budging these ladders, we are participating in God's kingdom coming alive, bringing newness here on the earth. And that hope and realization is enough to keep me going, that is enough for me to practice, 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 enough to pray for and live into, and to feed my spirit, and I hope yours as well. Amen.